Well, this morning, we are going to start into a new five-week series that I'm hoping uh, we'll use to kind of get us excited and set up for this year that's ahead of us. If you're one of the kind of people who are still writing uh, checks or you have to sign and date documents, hopefully you have it down by now, but we're in a brand new year, right? It's 2023. It always takes me a couple weeks as I'm working on my own stuff. Uh, you know, I'm tempted to make that two, and then I'm like, no, 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 it's a three, you know, and they kind of look a little weird for a little bit there. Maybe I'm the, the only one, but we're in a new year, and, and this is, uh, in some ways, an exciting year, and, and yet it's also, if you think about it, for a lot of people, it's just kind of another year, right? And not a very exciting year, depending on how you look at your year. Like, from a political standpoint, uh, this is considered to be an off year, right? Uh, 2022, big election cycle with, with the House and the Senate, and then 2024, we've got presidential race coming. So, we, we, you know, those are big moments. In 2023, it's, you know, state and local level stuff. And those are very important, but you don't see the same energy and excitement and attention about those things like you do these other political events, right? In the terms of sports, 2023, it's not an Olympic year, so we don't have any of that to, to do in terms of the big uh, activities that come with that. There, of course, there are the annual championship matches you get every year, and some of you are really excited for the NFL this year, right? Because the Chiefs are playing next, next Sunday, and so that's exciting for you. I, I heard at least one guy on ESPN said he thought the Cardinals were going to be really good in 23. I, I don't know if that's true or not, so... I don't know, but that's that one dude. So if that's true, some of you are excited. If it's not true, at least a few of you are like, yes, about time. <laughs> one of the main things in sports, though, that is happening in 2023, and is, of course, the main thing everyone's excited about and eagerly awaiting, is that undoubtedly you know Magnus Carlsen had announced he would not be defending his title as the world chess champion. And so this year in May... <laughs> When the World Chess Championships happen, we're going to have a new, a new chess champion. It's going to be it's a big deal. You know, you're eagerly awaiting those matches, as I know. Just, okay, all right. So 2023, if you look at it from certain points of view, it's not really the biggest year on the calendar. But if you look at it from the perspective of our church life, 2023 is actually a pretty big year for us. If you read my pastoral report in the annual business meeting uh, packet just a couple weeks ago, then you know... This year is our 100-year anniversary since the founding of this church. That's amazing. Yeah, that's it's worth an applause right there. That's a pretty big deal. It's a year, because of how unique it is, we don't want to just let it go by as another year. We're actually going to take some time to be intentional and to recognize this milestone and celebrate this milestone together. And so leading up to the first of several events that we'll have throughout the year that are really focused on kind of recognizing what God has done over the last hundred years and celebrating those things and looking forward to the future that he has for us, the first of those special events will happen six weeks from today. And so what I want to do for the five weeks leading up to that is talk about how and why and in what way does God call us to celebrate, to celebrate. Over the next five weeks, we're going to come at that topic from a variety of different angles. And this morning, we're going to start with, with what's a very familiar text to many of us, at least in song form for, for some of us, out of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, turn there to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and we're going to think about how there is a time for everything, a time for everything. 
Now let's look at this rather famous section from the pen of King Solomon where his wisdom and his insight still speak to us today through these words that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write and put into Scripture in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. Solomon writes, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace, and things turn, turn, no, wait, that's not Solomon's <laughs> words, that's, that's our song. But as we begin to think about, over the next several weeks, this call to celebrate in the lives of Christians, especially during this year, I want us to prepare our hearts for the activities and the events that we have coming up this year. There, there are things that I want us to be able to do with intentionality and clarity, knowing the reality of our lives and the life of this church as a corporate body. And what I think Solomon does in this text, he, he just brings out so beautifully in these verses that resonate with us, they resonate with people in every generation before us, is they reflect the reality of the variety of experiences that we all go through, right? But what Solomon is doing here, and I don't want us to miss that, is he's not just making observational statements that these things just happen in life. He's actually making an argument. He's saying that all of these things that we can observe, that we can experience, come under this comforting and very important assertion that he begins with, for everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven. I I want us to understand what that means. Because it's familiar to us, and, and oh, sure, sure, I can kind of nod at it, but he's actually saying something really important here for us to grasp. In fact, I think what he's doing is he's elaborating on what he said a few words back. In chapter 2, verse 25, he used a different phrase, and he talked about how things are from the hand of God. And I think he's building this argument through chapters 1, chapters 2, and then he comes into 3, and this is him beginning to flesh it out. So what you see in Ecclesiastes 3.1 is Solomon is saying this. What he's telling you and I is that everything that happens does so in its season, meaning it has a fixed, allotted, allowed period of time in which to take place. That's what a season is. He says there's a time for every matter in heaven. And this is a time with a duration to it. The the Hebrew term has a clear concept, not just a generic, there's a time openly, there's a specific time is what this is saying for every matter under heaven. Meaning there's a planned when, there's a planned how long, there's a planned under what circumstances, all things will take place under heaven. What he's doing is affirming it is God's hand that is in charge of all things. That's true because he is the sovereign God. And what Jesus does in the New Testament is he tells us this same thing is true. He says very clearly to his followers in Acts chapter 1 verse 7, Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has 
fixed by his own authority, right? So, so who has fixed, who has set, who controls all the times and seasons that exist? God does, right? You see, you see what he's saying there? And he does it by his own authority. How does he do it? Because he's God. He's the sovereign one. It's his right as the creator and sustainer of all things to determine this will happen here, this will happen here, this will happen here. That's his prerogative. That's his power. That's what he does as the creator and sustainer of all things that exist. The one who declares the beginning from the end, he says in the book of Isaiah. Daniel affirms understanding this great reality in his prayer. In Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 to 23, he says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. Notice verse 21. For he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him to you. O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. What's Daniel doing? He's recognizing that's who our God is, the one who changes the seasons and times, the one who controls the seasons and times, who sets these things. He's the one in charge. So he says, I give thanks to you then. I praise you because that's who you are. So all things, don't miss that, all things is what Solomon says and begins to kind of unpack in this poetic encapsulation for us. All things are under the hand of God and all things have their appropriate times and places in our lives. So here's how the text starts, with the very length of our lives, kind of looking at this, all things, and then, okay, let me make that all applicable to you. He says in verse 2, there is a time to be born and a time to die. What the Bible as a whole would teach you and I, what's affirmed in this verse, is that the length of your life, the length of my life, that is an unknown value to you and me, but not to God. These are not random things. We didn't pop into existence and we'll pop out of existence at random points. God is the one who has set these things for us. He is the one who determines when we will be born, where we will be born, and even how long our lives will be. Hebrews 9.27 says very clearly, It is appointed for man to die once. And after that comes judgment. What's the, what's the text say? Who's the one who is appointing the point of death for every person? God, he sets this. Psalm 139 verse 16 tells us very plainly, in your book, every one of them, the days that were formed for me were written when as yet there were none of them. So who, who's written down the story of our life, recorded our days before they've happened? Not our biographers, not you and I journaling everything that's happened before they've even taken place. God has written them down before they come to pass. Why? He knows them. He has set them. He's in control of them. He's sovereign over them. So James gives us, this is how then to live wise in light of this. For you do not know what your tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are like a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. By whose will do we live? Do we act? Do we get to go do this or that thing we want to do? Not just our will. God's will. The Bible teaches this very clearly and plainly to us. It is God who gives us our life and breath and everything. He is the one who has not only created us, but sustains us. He is enabling your body to continue to have life at this very moment. That's God's will. 
work. He is the one who has written our days. He is the one who has established our steps. He is the one who, the Bible tells us, has determined the allotted periods and boundaries of the dwelling place of all men. I stress this point to you. Because knowing this truth should really, really impact how we live and the way we seize upon the moments, the times and seasons that come into our life. Listen, there's just, just, just basic logic here. If your life and my life is a fixed period, a fixed amount of time, and the Bible tells us clearly that it is, then every day is an important opportunity for you and I to either take advantage of what's been given to us or to tragically squander that. But either way, no matter what you choose each and every day, the simple fact remains you will never get that day back. It's not like our bank accounts, which hopefully as we spend money, we put more money into later. Our life is not like that. It's an hourglass ticking down, and we don't get to turn it over and start again. Every day that goes by, once it's spent, it's spent. So since that's true, you and I need to think really carefully and live really intentionally, right? And the Bible just makes it very plain to to not do that. The one who does not number his days, the Bible says, is a fool. But the one who counts his days and lives and uses them wisely is wise. So for you and I, here's what we need to recognize. When we are faced with these choices that we're faced with every single day, that you were faced with today, this morning even, to make a choice. Will I put the things of God first? Or will I put the things of this world first? Just on a very basic level, you decide, am I going to go to church today or not? You're faced with this choice every day. Every day you have the opportunity. Will I read my Bible today or not? Will I pray today or not? Will I engage in the singing? I came to church, I made that choice, but, but now am I going to choose to engage in these songs or not? Am I going to listen carefully and take in the word of God? Am I going to respond to the word of God when given that opportunity today or not? Am I going to interact with fellow believers and have some conversations here or am I just going to sneak in and sneak out and check it off the list? Listen, all of these choices are choices you and I have to make and once you've made them, you can't unmake them. Whatever we choose to do, if we choose to let distraction run our lives, if we choose to focus our thoughts and our minds and our pursuits on food and entertainment and work and occupational obligations rather than the worship and witness opportunities that God is giving to us, that choice is made and cannot be unmade. You don't get those moments back. They're gone. So whatever we choose in that moment is what it is. Now that has an eternal consequence to it now, right? It's a big deal because we don't often think that way, right? None of us are weighing that out when we wake up in the morning. Should I go to gather and worship? This is an eternally weighty decision. I should really carefully and intentionally make this torch. We wake up and we go, should I go to church today? Eh, you know, we have church every Sunday. I'll catch the next one, Right? We rationalize very, very well. It's just one Sunday. It's just one event. It's just one Bible reading. It's just one time of praying. It's just one song. It's just one sermon. We'll get the next one. The Bible says, once they're gone, they're gone. And James warned us in that text, we're never guaranteed the next one. Now that's the, the, the heavier side of it. 
And it is heavy. I woke up this morning at 5 o'clock, and I'm thinking about this, and I'm going, okay, I have moments to spend. And I'll be honest, it was cold. And I'm like, I could stay under these blankets instead of going downstairs and praying and getting ready for this morning. And I thought, here's exactly what this text is telling me. Here's what I'm going to tell you. So get out of bed. (laughs) This matters. But knowing this about life should not just drive us towards faithfulness and encouragement in the micro side of the momentary choices. It certainly should. But I think this text should also motivate us and enable us to take risks and to spend ourselves and go after big things for God too. So I've been, I've been reading a lot lately and considering the lives of, of several great Christians from the past, particularly been focusing this last couple of weeks on some of the pioneer missionaries of the late 1700s, early 1800s. And these men and women that were doing missions at that point in time really changed the whole landscape of Christianity. They, they did it by taking big risks for God and launching what we know today as, as what we would call the modern missions movement, which is everything you know about missions, everything you believe about missions and why we should engage in missions, that all came from this pioneering work of these people in the late 17, early 1800s. People before that time actually thought, you know, the Great Commission's already been fulfilled. That was just for the apostles. It's good. We don't need to send missionaries. We don't need to invest in missions. We, you know, it's all just, we just kind of sit back. And it was these people who did great and big things and took huge risks because why? They had confidence that God was in control of their lives. So they set out to sail on rough oceans and they would travel to engage people who had never heard the gospel before and would very likely be hostile and not a civilized hostile, like I don't like your ideas, like I will kill you if you don't shut up, hostile. And they would go and they would spend all their money and they would give their entire lives. They would suffer immensely and they considered it all worth it because they knew their life was in the hands of their God, ultimately. Their understanding can be summarized so well in these moving words. Perhaps you've seen them before. Only one life to live will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. Those are the words of a missionary, C.T. Studd, who went on the field and gave everything for the cause of missions because he believed this to be very, very true. See, this, I think, is the other part of understanding the limited nature of our lives and the sovereign control of God's hand. Because if our lives are in God's hands, if he has fixed the days of our birth and the days of our death, then you and I, we're freed up to take risks and to give and to pour ourselves out for his glory. Because listen, you are not going to die one moment too early in the service of God. You're not going to short-circuit God's plan. He's not like, well, I was going to give you 80, 90 years, but you went to those unreached people and they killed you, you know, sorry. He's in control. God himself has established the length of our lives from birth to death so we get to live in trust of him, which means we get to fight against and put to death all the worry and anxiety and fear that keeps you and I from doing big things from God so often. Sometimes keeps us from even doing the small things like talking to our friends who just may think we're a little bit weird. (laughs) This should give us freedom. This should give us freedom. And I want to linger on this point more, but we need to continue into the text. So, so look again here at the last part of Ecclesiastes 3.2. He tells us there is a time to be born and a time to die. There is a time to plant and a time to pluck up what has been planted. 
And all of us here in this area, we, we know that's true just from observational experience, right? There's growing and harvesting seasons, and those are set. You can't go plant corn right now and expect to harvest, right? If you put out your tomato plant right now and you walk out there tomorrow, you're not getting bright red fruit, right? You're getting a little dead thing hanging there because it's not time for the harvesting. And what that also means is no matter what else you may want to do in the spring, the farmers know they have to go plant the crops. And whatever else they may want to do in the fall, it doesn't really matter. That's the time they're going to be in the fields harvesting what has been planted. They don't get to set the seasons for planting and plucking as they look at their calendar. You know, this year I'd like to do it in this month and this month over here. That's not how it works. They get to see God has set times for planting, times for harvesting, and we have to operate and live within those seasons. That's the way it works. And this text is telling us through this parallel that Solomon's building out. It's the same for the rest of our lives. God has set times and seasons to take place in our lives. And those things occur within that. And that should be then a comfort to us and a relief to us and a motivation to us to embrace and enjoy and experience all that God comes, brings into our lives through the times and the seasons in ways that bring honor and glory to him. And I'm saying all of that knowing what comes in these texts next. As Solomon's moving from the big picture down to the specific moments, he tells us in verse 3, there's a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. And these contrasts are not just the start and end of our life, they're experiences in our life, some of which we really enjoy and some of which we don't, right? As much as you and I always want to be in a season where it's just all healing and it's all building up and new things, that's not always what we get to experience, is it? I learned this just by way of, you know, silly illustration with the chickens we have. It's true of chickens, just like all livestock, but sometimes they will get an issue, a sickness or something that happens, and I have to weigh out, is it worth trying to heal them or do I just kill it? Sometimes it's a season for healing. I can fix this and we'll put in the time. We'll do that. And sometimes it's like, it's a season for killing. And I learned how to kill a chicken. Remind me to tell you sometime about how I first killed a chicken because I didn't know what I was doing. That's a whole different story. Now I know how to do it properly. When we think about building something, though, it's always exciting to build something new, right? Not as exciting to tear things down, but eventually things get torn down. That's part of life. Solomon himself, who's writing this text, right? Solomon is the greatest builder that there's ever been in Israel. Built things beyond comparison to everyone else. I mean, they're so great that kings and queens from other nations are coming in to go, man, this is awesome. This is amazing. We've never seen anything like this, right? This guy is a, a step above every other builder, no matter how good you think they may be. But when you go to Jerusalem today, we don't walk around and see Solomon's seal on every building. Why? They were torn down. Decay and ruin, all these reasons, they were torn down and new things had to be built up. This is just part of the experience of life, right? Sometimes we're building and sometimes we're breaking down. And yet, even those things, even whether it's a season to kill or a season to heal, rests in the hands of God. Deuteronomy 32, 39 should be so striking to us. And it should be motivating, and I'll tell you why. Here's what God says. See now that I, even I, am he, there is no God besides me. Listen to what he says. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. You know why I come back to this text for my own prayer life when I'm faced with difficult situations? Why I hang so much on this text. I gain such strength and comfort and courage from this text is because it says what God does, no one can stop. 
right? And he's involved in everything from bringing life, I make alive, and healing to the end of it, to killing and wounding. So this is why I pray to God to bring healing. This is why I pray to God when we have babies that we're expecting to come. God, bring them into this world safely and healthily. Why? It's in his hands. And if he does it, no one gets to stop him. Do you see how that should encourage us? We experience we get to experience the seasons and times of life, but God controls them. We experience them, but God controls them. This is why we pray. This is why we look to him. This is why we rely on him. He's not experiencing life the same way you and I are. He's sovereign over it. And again, like I said, to be clear, I'm not saying that just knowing this goes, well, great. Now we just coast through stoically or we coast through with this feigned happiness for everything because not everything feels the same and not everything should get the same response emotionally. We shouldn't pretend that times of death are the same as times of healing or times of breaking down are the same joy as times of building up. They're not. We feel the differences when we experience that. And Solomon recognizes that in verse 4, which you surely know. There is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. When things are hard, when life's not easy, when it's not the season of healing or building or harvesting, we can't and we should rightly weep and mourn. That's good and right. And you and I know that to be true. I don't want to belabor that forever because it's this, this is what we've walked through together as a church family over the last several years, right? We have had many times where we've, we've thought of this text, we've thought of Romans 12, 15, which tells us rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, and we've lived that out. We have mourned losses together, right? And we've celebrated new life and births together. We've rejoiced at healings we have seen take place, and then we've continued to pray for healings that we still need to see take place in other lives, right? So we should mourn and we should weep when the situation calls for that, but don't miss the other side. We should also laugh and dance and rejoice with those when that season comes into our lives as well, and it does. And we're going to talk more specifically about that next week when those types of seasons are ordained by God and come into our lives, not just in personal experiences, but in corporate uh, life like we are celebrating this year with this 100-year anniversary. Now, for the sake of of time, I guess I I need to take this last half of this text all together. Look at verses 5 to 8 here in Ecclesiastes 3 again. He says, There is a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. These things are all so very true of our lives. We experience them, don't we? And while we all may long for the easier side of things, we want the pleasure, we want the times of gaining, the growing, the repairing, the interacting, the loving, the peace-filled times, those times, no matter how good they are, no matter how much we want them, you and I know this to be true, those are just fixed moments in our lives. They don't last forever. Eventually, one season gives way to another season, and then we're into a time, a season, a period where it's time to experience loss. It's a time to give away and to sacrifice. It's a time where tearing needs to take place. It's a time where maybe we are alone. Maybe even there's a time for war. There's a time 
for hate. Our lives are all mixtures of these moments put together, these different experiences. You know that's true if you've reflected it all upon your life, and I guarantee it will be true for the rest of your life. There's no magic bullet here where we can say, let's choose the left side, and here's what we do. We live in the pleasure, and you actualize this, and all this kind of new agey stuff. That's not reality, and Solomon's not presenting that. He's telling you these times, these seasons will come into your lives in varying degrees, in varying ways in different orders for each one of us personally, and yet he wants us to know what he said in verse 1 controls all of it. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. All things in your life and in my life, they're just fixed times and fixed seasons. You and I, we have to experience them, and sometimes we experience them with, with joy. We enjoy that. Sometimes we just have to endure that. But what he's telling you and I is that you don't get to order them or control them. God does. That's the good news of this text. That's where the comfort and the hope and the joy comes in to knowing this is reality. This is the way life is. This mixture of ingredients that are listed out here in these few verses. But what he says to give us hope and comfort is not just this is the way life is. Best of luck with it. He says, this is the way life is. And these times and these seasons are fixed by the hand of your God. They're all in the hand of God. Which means they all have a purpose. They're all being used to fulfill his good plan. I believe this with every fiber of my being. But there is nothing, nothing in your life or my life, that is meaningless and wasted in the grand scheme of things. And it doesn't matter if you and I are smart enough or have enough insight to ever figure that out in our lives. There are things I know you and I won't see. How was that good? How was that the best? How was that better than this other thing? We may not know in this life, but there is nothing wasted. There is nothing meaningless at all. Romans 8.28 tells us this, and it's far, far more than a coffee cup verse or a nice piece of decoration or the wallpaper on your computer. This text, if you know everything that Solomon's saying, for everything there's a time and a season and a purpose and a meaning, this text means more. We know then that all things, for those who love God, all things work together for good and for those who are called according to his purpose. You mean to tell me all things, everything, life and death, sickness and healing, breaking and building, weeping and laughing, mourning and dancing, casting away and gathering, embracing and refraining, seeking and losing, keeping and pouring out, tearing and repairing, isolation and community, love and hate, war and peace, all things, yes, all things will work together for good and you and I will see it, maybe not now, but certainly in eternity. All things are in and under the hand of God. And his purposes, his plans, gloriously, mysteriously, and wonderfully will work together for good. 
And that good is so much richer and so much longer than what you and I can see and define here on this earth. And so, yes, we may have to spend our lives with a mixture of all the things we desperately don't want out of that list. More suffering, more isolation, more hardship, more loss, more giving than all the things we desperately want. But in the end, in the end, it's worth all of it. And we will reach eternity and we will be by his throne and we will see that was good. That was good, all of it. Even if we suffer every loss we so greatly fear, even if we give our own lives for taking a risk for the kingdom of God, it's good and it's worth it. This brief life is just a vapor. Just a vapor. One day we'll see the substance of everything firsthand. And it sounds like maybe, maybe easier to say standing here in a pulpit in a room like this in these moments. And you're thinking, okay, but you know, how, how, how can I know this isn't just your hopeful thinking? This isn't just your, your, your wishfulness that life's all worth it. How can I know that's all true for sure? I'll tell you how. Paul tells us how there in Romans chapter 8. If you look down just a few verses, verses 31 and 32, he says, For if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's, that's how you know. That's how you know. It's all going to be worth it. It's all going to be true. Why God proved it by sending his son. He proved my plan, my purposes won't fail. I will deliver a people. I will redeem a people at great cost to me. My own son will come. He will die. He will be the lamb slain to provide salvation for you. If he does that, if he does that, how also should we not expect him to graciously handle all things? This is what we must hold on to. This is what we must get deep into our souls. It's all working together. Everything according to his plan and purpose, and it will be fulfilled. You and I can trust this God and his word because he has given his own son, Jesus Christ, that you and I can be sure and confident and strong to live through all the seasons and all the times in our lives that come. If you're not a Christian, if you don't have faith in Jesus, then you can't receive this promise, and everything for you will just be vanity in this life. You'll have no meaning to it because if you don't have his promises and his grace and his mercy to sustain you now and to help you understand these things now, the reality is you won't be saved for eternity and then all will be vanity. No matter how good or bad or what experiences you have, no matter how much you strive to get on the pleasant things in this life side of the list, it won't matter if you don't have salvation, if you don't have Christ because at the end of all the times and all the seasons of your life, which God has ordered and God controls and he has put together and you are experiencing now, at the end of all of it, at that fixed date, it says it is appointed for you, like all the rest of us, to stand before the throne of God. And there, all of our sins, the way we handled every one of those experiences, and, and it's hard to handle those negative experiences well sometimes, right? But that will be judged before the throne of God. And every sin that you and I have ever committed will be brought forth before the throne of God. And if you and I don't have our faith and our hope in Christ and we haven't received his grace and salvation, then we will stand there with no defense and no explanation that will satisfy the just punishment of our sins. We'll answer for it all ourselves. But as Christians, 
when our appointed end comes and we stand before that throne, we'll look back at all the times and all the seasons of our lives and no matter what they were mixed with, no matter how they played out and were ordered, we won't stand there and say, look, God, how great I did at handling it all. Look, I, I had these good seasons and I praised you and I had these bad seasons and, and I did really well. I, I did what I was supposed to do and, and yay me. I earned your love and forgiveness and acceptance into eternity. We won't stand there and see any of that. We'll stand back and say, Lord, the only way I deserve salvation, the only way I deserve anything good from you is by your grace and mercy. And when I look back at my life, it doesn't matter how many ups and how many downs and what the times and the seasons were ordered and looked like. What matters is at one point in that life, through faith, I trusted in Jesus Christ. And he has promised me good and he has promised me salvation and he has promised to forgive and cover all my sins and that's my only hope. And as you stand before the throne and you say that to God knowing you don't deserve it, knowing it's only by faith in Jesus Christ, he says, welcome. Welcome in. And no matter how much of a screw up we were through all of that life, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. What a gift. So today, what all of us need to do is to, again, put our hope in Christ and to rely upon him, to trust him and believe in him and all he's done. This is the only way to live well because all these things in Ecclesiastes 3, all these times, all these seasons, they're coming into your life totally outside of your control and power. You don't get to order them. You don't get to choose which ones you get to take. It's not Burger King. You can't have it your way. <laughs> The only way to live well through these times is to know Christ and to gain strength and endurance and perspective from him. Friends, there is a time for everything. And in everything, we should live with faith and trust in Jesus. If you do, if we do, if we know him and what he's done and what he's promised, then you and I can have strength and motivation no matter whether it's the times we prefer or the times we would really rather not have, we can know it's our God, our God, who has loved us and saved us and promised us that all things will work together for good in the end. He's the one in control. So we can accept whatever time, whatever season he leads us through. We can trust him and we can live free in him. Worship team, if you'll come and lead us, we're going to sing again one of those choruses that we sang this morning and we're just going to understand it will be one day worth it all if we know Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that there are times and seasons and that everything we face in life is just that, a time and a season. Though we long for the good things to, to last indefinitely and we are disappointed when they don't, we also can take comfort in the reality that when we face hardships, when we face times of suffering, when we face times that are unpleasant in whatever way they may be, that too shall pass. Because they're all just times and seasons. They're fixed. They're in your control. And so as we recognize that and we look to you, we, we, we ask God for then strength. We ask for perspective. We ask for faith to be built up that no matter what we face, in fact, in everything that we face, Lord, may we turn our gaze to you. May we live in a way that would glorify you, whether that's through rejoicing and singing and dancing and celebrating or whether, Lord, that season recalls for mourning and crying. Help us to live in a way that would glorify you in every season, knowing there is a time 
for everything. So help us to live well in the things which come to pass in our lives. By your hand, we trust you. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.